Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. A former nurse was found guilty in an accidental injection death of a 75-year-old patient. Dr. John Harrington is here to speak with us about the controversial conviction. Dr. Harrington is the Vice President of Quality, Safety, and Clinical Integration at Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters and the Division Director of General Academic Pediatrics in Norfolk, Virginia. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Harrington. Please give us a summary of the events and the legal case. Thank you, Jessica, for a chance to sort of speak up and stuff. I think this is an important topic. You know, this was an interesting case that, uh, that appeared on everybody's radar, especially nursing, and it was related to a nurse, Rodonda Voigt is her name, and she's out in Tennessee. And in 2017, so this happened about five years ago, she mistakenly gave Vecaronium, which is a paralytic, from Versed, which is a, something to calm someone down. And she went into a medicine cabinet that was uh, you know, at the MRI station that she was at and apparently took the wrong medication and then gave it to this 75-year-old woman who then went into a paralytic uh, process where she couldn't breathe. And the thought process is, is that that caused her demise and brain death. What happened though after that was it wasn't sort of a, you know, root cause analysis process. It was more a criminal process that went on. And in 2019, she was arrested. And then that case finally came to light in Nashville, Tennessee. They actually finished the court case and she was convicted. She was convicted of negligent homicide and could spend up to three to six years in prison. And this is really something that, you know, in our systems that we have, we protect against this in a sense that if it's a mistake or it's an error and it's related to our systems, then the system has to sort of fix it. You can't, you can't blame the person. So one of the things that we look for are systemic issues or systemic failures, you know, can cause human failure, but human failure usually doesn't cause systemic failures. So in all the systems that we use for quality and safety, our biggest thing is our event reporters and, and the ability for us to speak up when we think there's a problem or to speak up when we see a problem or to speak up when a problem occurs so that we can find out if it's something related to our systems and fix it so that we can improve patient safety and patient quality. And so this was sort of, this is totally against what is called by Sidney Decker, a just culture. You know, our just culture is sort of saying, you know, everybody is human and so, and humans can make mistakes. So we need to put in systems in place that don't allow us to make a mistake. So, you know, things where, you know, if you, if you want to use a syringe for something, but the syringe won't fit, you're like, why won't the syringe fit? Because you're not supposed to use that type of syringe. So we didn't make it so that it would fit. So, so those types of things are blocks to, to things that could create problems and stuff. So this conviction's, you know, kind of controversial in the sense that it's going to, it's going to cause an issue of people not wanting to speak up or, you know, maybe making a mistake, but maybe like saying, well, it didn't hurt anybody. So I'm not going to say anything because I might get in trouble or, or it did hurt somebody, but it didn't hurt them so much that I, you know, I don't want to get in trouble and, and not speak up. So it will stop people from speaking up so that even things that might be tremors that we could notice early now could become earthquakes because we're not really recognizing them and stuff. So we're really worried about this in terms of having a shockwave effect through, through nursing, 
uh, and through all people who do reporting. So we get reporting from everybody. We get them from the environmental service people. We get them from the cafeteria people. We get them from, you know, anywhere where patients come in contact with us and stuff. So frontline staff, you know, really need to speak up and let us know what's going on. You know, if there's water on the floor, that's a safety hazard for everybody, not just the patients, but for us. So, you know, someone needs to say, hey, there's water on the floor. I'm going to put something over it. or I'm going to dry it up or I'm going to call. And, you know, if it's a really big thing, well, where did that water come from? Is there a leak upstairs and stuff? So so there's all these different things that we do on a regular basis that are for safety purposes. So, uh, you know, a person, you know, looking at a thing and saying, Vecaronium uh, versus Versed, you know, they saw the V and maybe they just, maybe their, you know, vision was poor that day or they, you know, they were wearing their goggles and their mask and their mask fogged up. I mean, this is what's happening to all of us, you know, in COVID and stuff. And you're like, going, I think I, I look like Versed. Yeah, I think it was Versed. So what happens is we do thousands of things correct every day. But if we do three or four errors, those could hurt a patient, right? So the idea is that when we do have an error or we do have something, we want to be able to sort of find it and correct it or find it and find the systemic problem and correct it so that it doesn't happen again. And and that's really what this case is all about. It's basically saying this person made a mistake just because they made a mistake, you know, doesn't mean that they should be criminalized for it. It wasn't made intentionally. You know what I mean? It wasn't, there was no intent to hurt the patient. It was a mistake between two medications. Yes, it's horrible. Yes, it's, you know, we all wish that it didn't happen, but it happens thousands of times, hundreds of thousands of times in some, some situations every year in every, you know, in all hospitals when, you're, when you add them up and stuff. So if we criminalize it, then people won't speak about them and probably more will happen. So, so that's the problem. And that's what we learned, you know, when we, when we, you know, long ago, when we used to convict against these things and stuff, if you convict people, it doesn't, it just makes people hide it more. Like it's not going to make people, you know, talk about it more. So I think that's why this conviction is really pretty controversial. And it's gonna, it's gonna make it really hard for us now to sort of say, hey, you know, what's the next step here? You know, if, if she really is convicted and she goes to jail and someone sees this as a precedent and they want to sort of say, Hey, you know, so-and-so, you know, got put like I, when I was, um, when I was working in New York, we had, we had a situation where an oxygen canister, which is supposed to be non-metal went into an MRI area by accident. So there was something on the, they thought it was a plastic, you know, something that was non-metal. So when you turn on an MRI machine, it's a really strong magnet and it pulls in the uh, canister of oxygen if it's made of metal. It'll pull it directly where the magnet is strongest, which is over the patient, right? So this happened and it crushed the skull of the child and the child died. So obviously that was sort of like, oh my God, right? And so everybody was like, what are we gonna do? So, you know, transparently speaking, you have to say, we made a big mistake. We put a canister of oxygen in there that shouldn't have been there. And then we went through the whole process. You do like a root cause analysis and you say, well, that canister, you know, is, is the same color as the one that is non-metal. So maybe we should have made them different colors. And should we have not made it so that we need a metal detector trying when you get into the MRI area so that it would go off if anything metal comes in there and stuff. And so all of these processes, this is now, those are all standard, right? So those are all standard things that we do, but they weren't before everybody just assumed, hey, don't bring anything metal in here and we'll be okay, right? 
But now, you know, if you go into an MRI, it's like, you know, they frisk you down, make sure you don't have anything metal on you and stuff like that. And then, you know, you have to come in with specific things. So it's, it's a really process oriented thing because of the fact that many people were injured in MRIs prior to that and stuff. So, so it is one of these things where we want to make sure that we have that correct and stuff for people. I think those are all really, really good points, Dr. Harrington. How does this conviction and precedent complicate efforts to recruit and retain people in healthcare professions? You mentioned in your last answer, it's sending shockwaves through nursing. What did you mean by that? You know, during COVID, everybody sort of has been working kind of in a, in a, in a stressed environment, right? So especially, you know, for adults, you know, we, we had so many patients pass away and then we've all had to like wear extra things, you know, masks all the time, goggles all the time, patients coming, you know, lots of patients, lots of patients being held for longer periods of time, staffing shortages, working longer hours and stuff. And, and sort of, you know, and having sort of your administration saying like, you know, we're, we're with you, we love you, you know, keep working hard. We're going to get the staffing back up. We're going to, but now like if someone says, well, if you make a mistake though, you're in trouble. And so that can cause basically, listen, I was almost ready to get out of this thing. So now I'm out like, you know, I'm not, I, now I can get in trouble if I make a mistake and I'm so tired sometimes. And, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm going to make a mistake every day now. So forget it. I'm not doing it anymore. And they just throw their hands up and say, I'm retiring <laughs> or I'm going to do private duty nurse where I just take care of one person and I can focus on one thing and blah, blah, blah. So they leave nursing or they leave nursing like the hospital type of nursing. And so we've seen a huge exodus of nurses, right? So everybody is having issues maintaining nursing staffs, you know, so especially frontline workers, especially people working in high stress environments, you know, hospital beds, ICUs, things like that, or they're taking jobs that are more administrative, you know, and so people are, it's not necessarily that they left the system, but they moved out of the frontline system because they don't want to be exposed to that type of difficult environment where you have to make decisions all the time and you're, you're working with stuff that could harm a patient stuff. But you're doing it right now in, in a, in a very safe environment, but still there's errors every day. Right. And there's still problems every day, you know, where you might get the, you know, someone puts the wrong weight of a patient. So you get the wrong dosage of a medicine and, you know, someone's like, Hey, you know, I, the patient's not, you know, 13 kilograms or 13 pounds, someone put pounds and they should have put kilograms or they should have put like, you know, five kilograms or six kilograms, but they put 13 because they said pounds. So, so there's these types of things that we put that in the event reporter and we say, you know, our computer should have picked that up. Why didn't it pick it up? So we can find out from IS why it didn't get picked up. It was put in the wrong screen or put on the wrong area and stuff. So these types of things happen all the time, but if you're going to take the fall for it, you're like, I'm giving up, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's why this is such an important thing to sort of play out and stuff and say, listen, if we do this and we basically say, we can't protect you from the criminalization of it, then we're going to have a hard time keeping people, right? Because we know that those accidents or those errors are going to occur somewhere in the system. And we, we don't want them to occur, but we do know that they occur. So most event reporters, you know, if I, even if I look at our own event reporter, you know, we get, you know, 400 events per month, right. That we, that we report on or 300 events, 200, you know, however, however many there are, you know, so, so we look at those and they're all from different aspects, you know, it could be from, you know, medication management. It could be from patient flow. It could be from, 
you know, sort of operational issues. It could be even things that we use, instruments that we use and stuff like that. Hey, this instrument's bent. How come it's bent? Why did it get bent? It wouldn't work well. So we need to like let somebody know what happened and stuff. So, so there are little issues that, that come up that we, that we don't know about. So the reason why it would be hard is that people would say, hey, if I'm not protected and it's not really my fault or, or I wasn't, you know, I did make a mistake, but it was the, it was kind of like a human error mistake, but, but it was easy to not tell the difference between Versed and Vecaronium because they both begin with V and they both kind of sound very, you know, so, but how else can we make them different? And so, you know, should they be in a different, you know, colored vial? Should they be in a different, in a different type of thing? And, and it seems like they were trying to do those things and they probably did fix those things. But at the same time, people are working fast, right? If they're short staffed, if they're tired, if their things are, you know, sometimes people do workarounds and stuff because they're like, well, you know, we still have to get the work done. There's still 10 patients to see. We've got to figure this out. You know, it always comes in the wrong vial. Just switch it to the other vial. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, and so you get these kind of workarounds and stuff that people do because, you know, there's just not enough time in the day, right? So people kind of make changes and stuff. We really don't want them to do that. We want them to report it to us. But if you say, well, if I report it and, you know, and, uh, and something bad happens or whatever, then that's going to be a problem. So if, if a bad thing happens, then everybody's like, I, I don't want to say anything. That's going to be a problem as well. So, so we really need them to sort of be feeling that everybody's behind you. There's shared accountability from both, uh, from both the physician, the nurse, the hospital, and all systems, right? So that everybody has a shared accountability. So if someone sees me about to do something wrong, I want someone to speak up like, hey, Dr. Harrington, you probably don't want to like lean on the person's trach, it might pop out. Or you probably don't want to like, you know, do this or, or whatever. Or are you sure that's the right dose? Because the other kid we, is the same size and you gave half that dose. So why are you giving double the dose to this patient? Oh, really? What? Oh my God, you're right. You know, so it's one of these things where you want people to speak up and and be able to say, hey, you know, and, and and speak up through levels, right? Like, I don't, you know, if a medical student says something to me, and, and I'm not going to say, well, you're a medical student, what do you know? I'm like, wait a second, you know, you might know what you're talking about. So I should listen to you, right? So, you know, that whole idea about psychological safety is to be able to speak up, even if you think the person is quite, you know, more senior to you and stuff. Those are the things that we really don't want to not happen. We want that to happen and stuff. So those are really important aspects. From a clinician's perspective, what are more effective mechanisms for examining errors, establishing system improvements, and taking corrective action? So a lot of times something happens, and so people assume what the answer is, right? You should have, well, that wouldn't have happened if we did the following things. But in reality, a lot of times you really need to know what the problem is. And so some people will call that the root cause analysis. So so you really need to kind of interview people and, and kind of dig down and say, what is the real reason that this happened? You know, so if a patient got the wrong dosage of something and, and you were sort of like saying, well, it's just because they didn't measure it correctly. Well, if, if pharmacy was delivered, you know, new vials that were diluted one to a hundred versus one to a thousand, and therefore they need to give a higher dose because it's 10 times less because we're in you know, we're having supply chain issues and they couldn't get the one to a thousand dilution. So they only had the one to hundred. So now we have an increased amount. 
So, so, so what happens is the person gets in and goes, well, that's too much. But in reality, it's not because the, we have a new, we have a new thing, but that dilution thing didn't get moved down the chain. So the nursing didn't know it, the doctor didn't know it. And the reversal might happen, right? You might get a much more concentrated solution and, and now you're giving a much more concentrated thing. And you're saying, hey, listen, we usually give five mLs. Why are we giving 0.5? I think they're wrong. And then you draw up the five and now you just 10 times dose the patient, right? So these are the types of things that I'm talking about. It's not, it, it lets you understand that you need to find the root cause analysis of why this happened. So you have to ask questions and then find out, hey, supply chain has problems. It wasn't the fact that you got the wrong syringe or the wrong dosage we got a whole new different, you know, sort of standard dilution that we're doing here in the pharmacy. And that didn't get translated down to the front lines. And, you know, now we know why it happened. Now we can fix the problem, right? Versus if we just said like, well, they just keep giving us the wrong dosage and stuff. So we're just going to keep changing it, changing it out and stuff. So a lot of times knowing, you know, how to kind of move through that system and asking all the people that are involved in the process is the only way to find out the actual reason to the problem, right? And then how to fix the problem. So a lot of people sometimes see the end product and they say, well, we'll just, we should just fire that person because they don't know what dosage they're given. And so then you never fix the problem with the pharmacist. And then the, you know, and then the next person comes along the same problem. They, they do the same exact thing with the person just that you just fired or you just did a criminal act to and said, you need to go to jail. So now but it's actually the pharmacist that had a different dilution because of a supply chain problem that was, you know, related to our war in <laughs> Ukraine, which is really, you know, so you can see how it kind of moves back to the, the whole thing. There's a, there's another sort of way, you know, ask five questions. Why, you know, well, why did that happen? Well, cause there's just, you know, cause the dilution's different. Well, why did that happen? Well, because there's a supply chain problem and we don't have the right dilution. Well, why did that happen? Well, we have a supply chain problem because there's so many canister, you know, so many container ships standing out in the, you know, out in the thing that they can't deliver these, you know, products to us. Why are there so many container from? Well, there was a problem in the Red Sea, you know, where it was blocked and stuff, you know, like when we had those issues with all the, you know, barges out there and stuff. So, so there is a reason why, but the final common denominator is, is that we gave the wrong dilution and the person on the front line that actually gave it didn't know what the dilution was and stuff. So when you finally dig into the whole process, you find out why it happened. And it wasn't the person at all who you, you know, sent to jail. It was actually the supply chain issue. And now, uh, now we can actually fix the problem versus, you know, send the person to jail. And, and that's really where this goes back to. It's sort of like, you know, was it really a mistake or an error or was there something wrong that we could have fixed, you know, in the front end and stuff or the back end, however you want to look at it. What does this conviction and precedent mean for patients? And conversely, what would using the mechanisms that you just mentioned mean for patients? So when, when you first look at it, it's sort of like, okay, we got rid of a bad actor or we got rid of a bad person who was, you know, who was dangerous to patients, okay? In, in reality, you've probably made it much less safe for patients because you've now switched the, the conversation of, you know, people are the problem uh, and, and we need to just get rid of the people that are the problem and stuff versus it's a system issue. And, and this happened five years ago. So probably, you know, a lot of those systems have hopefully been fixed, but, but you, you, you point out the fact that if you just get rid of the people, you're not getting rid of the problem, just as I was explaining. You're, the problem may still exist there, but if you get rid of the people, that doesn't necessarily solve your problem. 
So it's likely not safer for the patients to have this conviction. It's probably much less safer for the patients to have this type of conviction. It may feel vindictive or you know, vindicated, you know, the fact that, okay, we, we did this and we fixed it, but you really didn't. You probably made it much worse. And so many times whenever we try to use the law or we try to use judicial process for these things, it doesn't work. You know, it just makes it worse. People won't speak up. You can show things related to the challenger problem and stuff. People weren't willing to speak up because they, they were told, you know, don't say anything. Things are going fine. You know, I don't care about the O-rings. We, you know, those are fine. Don't worry about those and stuff. And they were sort of like, well, we want to speak up, but, you know, we're being told that we shan't, shouldn't say anything. And if you read some of the literature related to these things, it, it was all related to a culture of safety and a just culture, just, you know, saying like, you should be able to speak up without the fear of being criminalized or losing your job or something bad happening to you and stuff. Otherwise, bad things happen to other people, right? So, so that's really the main issue here is that you have to be able to speak freely related to your job um, in order to maintain safety and quality in, in the things that you do. Otherwise, you're, you're just, just, you're just doing the motions and things will just get worse. And so that's what's really kind of hard about this is that the, the person, you know, likely, you know, is going to go to jail and, and none of this is probably going to be helpful to anybody other than, you know, making it worse maybe for patients. You mentioned a couple of anecdotes, but give us more of your personal experience. What are you hearing from your peers in the healthcare community about this conversation? You know, on the nursing lines, they're basically saying, you know, I'm done. You know, that's it. You know, this is really the way things are going to happen. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in staying in this field. From another side, though, what we're hearing is that a lot of administrations and a lot of quality and safety people like myself are sort of saying, listen, we've come so far in terms of trying to make a just culture and a safety culture, and we've made a lot of headway. We don't want this to sort of set us back 25, 30 years. We want to keep moving forward. So most of the, you know, sort of chatter has been, our goal is not to punish the individual who makes a mistake. Our goal is to, you know, analyze everything that creates an error and build the systems that it won't happen again. And, and for us to do that, we have to be a full team, right? We can't, we can't, you know, allow other people to decide those uh, actions and stuff like that. We can't criminalize errors. Um, if they're, if they're human errors that were, were non-intentional, we can't criminalize that. We can audit things and see if people are making mistakes, then, then we need to help them. If they're unintentional mistakes that are based on our system problems, then we need to fix those because they're just going to keep happening. There's no way around that. So the real chatter right now is really sort of saying, listen, we need to man up a little bit more and say, listen, we're not going to, we're not going to stand for this. This is not something that we're going to let go quietly. We're not going to say, okay, well, they can convict her. And so like, I mean, most of the chatter is basically like, we support you. We're with you. We are not, you know, we're not going away. We're not going to try and hide from this. We are going to go straight out there and say, listen, for safety, you need to be able to report things. You need to be able to, you know, say your errors and you need to be able to feel safe that that's not going to land you in jail for, for doing something that, you felt was unintentional and that you were following a protocol. Is there anything else that you'd like to add today, Dr. Harrington? Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of people that know a lot more about this than I do. The thing about it is, is that the passion that a lot of people have for safety and quality 
is really important. And, and the idea about just culture and psychological safety is real. You really have to cultivate that. You can't just do that overnight. People have to feel like it's an important aspect and it has to be woven into the fabric of your culture. And so that's why this is such a, this is almost like someone taking a you know, razor and trying to cut it in half and stuff. And, and we really were like, whoa, that was just like coming out of nowhere. That just really shouldn't have happened. And so now we really need to say, listen, that was an anomaly and it really should be treated as an anomaly. It should not be the, the normal phase. And we need to move forward and say, listen, a culture of safety is really important. A just culture is really important. A psychologically safe culture is important. And we need to kind of cultivate all of those within our fields and we will see improvements on safety and quality and stuff like that. So, so it is one of these things where I think it's an outlier and we're hopeful that this is not going to become a common aspect, but, but I do think that we, we need to speak with one voice. And, and I do think that if some other types of, you know, communities want to sort of start doing this, then, then we're going to need to really kind of, um, group together and have like a full, you know, the AAP, all of the different centers and stuff like that, the, the nursings, the, you know, physicians, the, you know, colleagues and medical colleagues and stuff like that. We're going to need to speak up as one voice and say, this is not going to be the norm. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate having you on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks for giving me a chance to speak out.